Beautiful music. Appreciate that. We are off to a good start in our worshiping of Christ the King, the newborn King. Well, it's uh, the decorations are up. I guess your trees are up and decorated and the lights are hung and uh, I'm assuming you have your presents wrapped, I hope, by now. And most of them are under the tree. Maybe even your stockings are hung by the chimney if you have one. So it's an exciting time. Uh, there's excitement in the air. There's sugar everywhere this season. And I think that, that serves to pep us up a little bit. And I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm especially excited to, to uh, worship the Lord with my, my biological family, but also my spiritual family. And it's with you that we will spend eternity doing the same thing forever and ever, just adoring Christ, loving Christ. So I want to share a message with you this morning about light that is on my heart. And then um, Kirk and Mary Lou will light the Christ candle, and then we will close with kind of a brief candlelight service in the very end. My text is short, so I want to read it up front. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and I'm going to share a few comments, and then I'll come back to the text. And it is in Isaiah chapter 9, the first two verses, but I'm going to include verse 3 because we looked at verse 3 last week, kind of as an uh, introduction to the Christmas play, which was uh, about rejoicing that Christ has been born. So Isaiah chapter 9, the first three verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So by way of introduction, everything that's been done these last several weeks really just all leads up to today and tomorrow, this very, very moment. Um, it leads up to what we celebrate, and that is the birth of Christ. And I think it's very appropriate as I think about Christmas that Christmas is really not just celebrated on one day. It's such a big deal. I'm so grateful that the church fathers who have had time as the, the incarnation and the birth of Christ sinks in. They realize the cosmic effect and really the celebration uh, begins in advance and it even goes beyond, uh, so before and after with Epiphany. So the birth of Christ is really not just one day, but it's an event. It has become an event for us. And I know in our home it's an event in the sense that we started a Usually at a certain time, we try to do things in preparation for Christmas. There's a certain weekend we try to get together as family and put the tree up and decorate the tree. There's just kind of a schedule we follow because Christmas is an event. And then it, it culminates in uh, the worship of Christ. So it's not all done at one time, but in stages. And as is, we've been reminded with our Advent testimonies, 
Each day leads to the next, leads to the next. So, Christ, as we think about Jesus and His birth, one of the things that the Advent wreath and the candles remind us of is that not only has He come as an infant and a vulnerable baby, but at the same time, we are reminded that He will come again as a mighty, unstoppable King. And so in in Christmas season, we carry all of this divine mystery in our heads and in our hearts. And Christmas is so special uh, that it's not just something that the church celebrates. I'm sure you've noticed that our entire culture, for the most part, celebrates the Christmas season. In fact, our nation has 10 federal holidays, so our Government has decided uh, that for the good of the people, there are ten reasons, important reasons, to take a day off and think about something specific. Uh, Nine of those special days are considered secular holidays. Even Thanksgiving is considered a secular holiday. There is one of the ten of our federal holidays that is considered religious, and more specifically, Christian, and that is Christmas, whereby the nation recognizes the birth of Jesus Christ. And so, as Luke said, it is correct to say that Jesus is the reason for all of it. Jesus is the reason for the season. But we know that that has not stopped people from coming up with their own meaning for Christmas or their own reasons for Christmas. Uh, Lisa and I have tried to watch some of the latest Christmas specials that are out. There's always the good ones that you can go back to, the Christmas story and and different things like that. But then they have new ones, and so we decided to try to watch a few new ones. And I'm always interested in what the message is these days. What do people think about Christmas these days? And the few that we watched, the message was very clear in these movies, and that is Christmas is about family. It's all about family. It's about family relationships. And that's a wonderful thing. Family's important. Christ created the family, designed the family. But that's not what Christmas is about. It's a benefit that comes. But that's not the meaning or the message of Christmas. So it always intrigues me how uh, society at large comes up or finds different reasons to be excited about the Christmas season and yet misses the root of it all. And there are wonderful themes that happen during Christmas. We talk about love, we talk about peace, we, ta- we talk about joy, we talk about the importance of family and gathering. And yet none of that is possible without Christ the King. He's the foundation and the root of all these things and why we even have reason as mankind to rejoice in that. And that includes the giving theme. The giving and receiving theme in Christmas. It's a huge theme that our society uses as well. Uh, It doesn't stop the advertisers from capitalizing on this theme of giving. You should be very generous with your money. And I'd prefer if you would come to my store and buy my products so that you can be generous with your money. It's all a part of it. It's fair game. Some of today's Christmas marketing, I think, is way off base. It doesn't take a genius to see that. And then there's some that just surprises you. Some of the advertisements and the commercials out there, 
this surprised me at how they, they, they draw in important themes of meaning and not just the fluff. And one of those um, commercials was a Chevrolet commercial. And I watched it, and it was about uh, memory, uh, aging and memory loss. And it was a long commercial. And uh, I watched this commercial. I don't know how it came to my attention. Uh, early one morning, I was in my office, and I watched it, and my, my eyes just filled, just swelled up with water. And Lisa was in the other room, and I said, uh, Hey, babes, you want to come in here and cry with me? <laughs> so she comes, she comes in, and... and um, we watch it together, and of course, she's a little more emotional than I am, and so she begins to cry, and we watch it, and she just slaps me in the knee and walks out. Like, you know, that's just what I wanted to do this morning. Is, is try. But it, it touched. It was about sacrificial love. It was about truly caring for people. I, and I didn't get emotional because of it was a Chevrolet. You know, I was a Chevrolet guy, but I actually got emotional because it, of, the, of the meaning and the relationships in this particular um, story, but the point is, what happens uh, in what happens is that in our culture, that we often pick up on the ideas of Christmas and we pick up on the and the good, joyful themes of Christmas, and we run with them without the true meaning of Christmas or without the root of Christmas, as if we have reason to rejoice, but. We don't have the reason to rejoice if Christ had not been born and accomplished what he has done. I like uh, that in Christianity, Christmas really isn't just a season, though it's a season, but it's a lifestyle. Christmas is a lifestyle. We, we adore Christ every day. We love on Christ every day and celebrate him every day. Right about the time um, I became a Christian, as I think about, um, you know, how we can celebrate Christ, I mean, Christmas without Christ, and it's not satisfying. I remember as a kid, you know, it was all about what I could get. And as soon as I opened that last present, you know, my joy level just, the thermometer went way down of joy. Then I got to play with them, it went back up, but then it just is empty, and you just got to wait for the same thing to happen next year. That's not the case with Christ. Christ comes in and he fills our hearts and he fills our souls. And so whether we have gifts to wrap or not, we have Christ. That's the important thing. But I got saved back, I think it was 1984, and about the time I was a new Christian, uh, something came to my attention. And there was this huge campaign when we talk about giving. This huge campaign for, um, to raise money to give aid to Ethiopia. And if you were alive at that time, you might remember all of the commercials there. There was a terrible famine in Ethiopia in 1985. And, and people of all ages, um, they were dying by the tens of thousands. Uh, basically walking skeletons. It was, it was just horrendous. It was terrible. It was heart-wrenching. According to the United Nations, there were one million famine deaths as a result of this. But in the midst of this, something I think very, really incredible happened. And that is there's an organization that got together and it promoted a fundraiser. And what they did is they got all of the latest and greatest musicians together. They managed to do this. They get all of these um, uh, musicians together. They called it Live Aid. 
and it was one day only. And they agreed to get together to raise money for this famine. So you have just the best of the best back then, um, according to your taste. So you're talking about, um, just, just, just to name a few, Bob Dylan, the Boomtown Rats, Brian Adams, the Cars, David Bowie, Diana Ross, Elton John, Paul McCartney, Paul Weller, the Police, Pretenders, Queen, Sage, Status Quo, U2, Ultravox, The Who, and many, many more. And when you get that kind of incredible talent together, that kind of pomp and entertainment um, put together, it's, it's electrifying, and it really was. And I remember uh, all of this taking place. So according to Google, it was one of the largest satellite link-ups and television broadcasts of all time, an estimated audience of 1.9 million in 150 nations watched the live broadcast, nearly 40%, they calculated, of the world's population watched this one-day special event And they raised a staggering $127 million. I mean, that is crazy. $127 million. At the very end of this, um, the musicians all got together, kind of on the stage, and they sang this song entitled, We Are the World. And you still hear it on the radio today, USA Africa. It's very, very catchy. Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, Richie wrote the, the lyrics. And I'm just going to share a few with you. As it, uh, and then we'll look at our text and see how it ties in. So in this song it says, There comes a time when we heed a certain call. When the world must come together as one. There are people dying. Oh, and it's time to lend a hand to life. The greatest gift of all. We can't go on. Pretending, day by day, that someone, somewhere, soon, make a change. We're all a part of God's great big family. And the truth, you know, love is all we need. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. Very catchy tune. Great music. And very uh, appealing Lyrics. The world must come together. There's a crisis. The world must come together. Life is the greatest gift of all. We're all a part of God's big family. The truth is, love is all we need. And we are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. Well, music is a powerful thing. It remains to be a powerful thing. That The nations came together. They rolled up their sleeves. And they raised $127 million, and that is incredible, wonderful, and inspirational. Now, how does all that tie into this ancient prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9? Well, it turns out that, try as we may, we as humans are not as loving and bright as we may hope to be or think that we are. Years later, according to ABC News, an investigation by the BBC has found just 5% of that money raised actually went to the aid of those in famine. 5% made it to the victims. Instead, the millions of dollars of international and intended to buy 
the millions of dollars of international aid intended to buy food for starving Ethiopians was used by rebel groups to buy weapons. So you know, the money was there and the people in charge of it and the connections they had, whatever it filtered down, it went into different hands, it wound it up into the hands of the rebels. And 5% of that generosity, of that love, of that light, of that brightness went where it was supposed to go. And all that is to point out the fact that as try as we may, this world is still a dark place. The world is a dark place. There are those places where there's greed, where there's sin, and where there is evil. And all the giving and receiving in the world will fall short except for one. And that is the giving of Christ and the receiving of of faith and salvation by grace. And that is the Christmas message. With that in mind, let me go back and read the first two verses in Isaiah. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Our text begins with a a but, or nevertheless, here. So whenever that's there, we have to go back and see what preceded it. So what happened in chapter 8 to precipitate these words? Well, in verses 21 and 22, here's the cultural climate. Here's what the people in that age we're struggling with. They will pass through the land greatly, distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So in chapter 8, the Israelites are crushed They're crushed in every sense of the world. They're crushed up. Their society is crumbling. They're threatened militarily as the Assyrians have threatened to come and conquer them and disperse them. Their politics at this time are shady. People are just looking for anything and everything except for God to give them hope. And basically, they are looking to the world. It says they look down at the earth. They need security, they need stability, but they refuse to look to God. They'll take any advice, any inspiration they can that the world has to offer. And the problem is that the more they look and the harder they look, the darker they become and the more anguish and anxiety builds up in their hearts and souls. And then verse 12, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. So they're looking for answers all in the wrong places, coming up with wrong conclusions. Verse 19, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? And so basically you have back then like we have today, people looking for anything they can get. They want control. They want to know how to prepare for what's coming. Does any of that sound familiar? And so they search the newspapers. They look at the stars. They read palms. They try different religions. They try different experiences because there's this anguish and this darkness. They are looking to the world. They're looking to the earth. And it is a mess. 
rather than it providing the peace that they want, it calls waterfall after waterfall of anxiety. Verse 22, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anxiety and anguish. But God's solution to them is in verse 20. To the teaching and to the testimony, he tells the prophet to tell the people. Not to the earth, to the teaching and to the testimony. Come to God's revelation. Come to God's word. Listen to what God says. Read God's prophecy. God has the answers. He has the stability and the safety that your soul is so anxiously seeking. And along with that, verse 13, But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And so sadly, God was not holy to them. And we know that to be holy means to be set apart as something special. And the times were so bad, and they had such a low view of God, that he wasn't even special enough to inquire anymore. He wasn't special enough or revered or feared enough for them to go to him for their safety and their security and their salvation and for to calm all the anxieties of the unknown. He did not hold a special place in their hearts and in their minds. Rather, they kept looking to the earth. Now this is a description of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It was in the northern parts of the promised land of of Israel and the tribes. And so it was... It was on the border there and it was closer to the pagan nations and they rubbed shoulders with the pagan nations. And by the time of Christ, it became known as the land of Galilee and there were way more uh, pagans living there than Jews. There were small pockets of Jews, but there was, it was just a place filled with pagan worship. And it was a place that was filled with people who do, did not fear God or trust in God. And so Isaiah calls it a place of great darkness. And John chapter 1 verse 46, uh, they asked this rhetorical question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that's the mindset of this place. And don't look to that place for anything special, anything bright, anything gleaming, anything hopeful. You know, it's up there in the north. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a dud. But our text says, nevertheless. So in the midst of the great darkness comes this great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them light has shone. What happened in this darkness? A baby was born. Were they seeking that baby? Were they seeking that light? No, He came to them. God, the light, comes into the darkness. They didn't want anything to do with the light. They loved the darkness, John tells us. But here the loving God of peace and joy shines His light through baby Christ, through the incarnation. And He shines His light into the darkness of man, into the darkness of all the thoughts that draws wrong conclusions, into the darkness that seeks after things that that won't fulfill the longings of our soul, the darkness of the evil. And the purposefulness of it. They did not seek God. God sought them. And so part of the Christmas message is about the world as a dark place. And that's an important part of the Christmas message. Because 
We have to understand the darkness in order often to appreciate the light that has shone into it. Now we've been in the book of Revelation in chapter 12. For you'll remember this. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child he might devour it. What's that? That's called the nativity story revelation style. That's the birth of Jesus. And I know that we have it in the Gospels and we get the peace and we get the silent nights and the cattle are lowing and there's hay and there's a sweet little baby and there's hay, everybody's wearing a halo and everything is peaceful and calm and there's that aspect to it. But Revelation style shows how cosmic just the birth of Christ is. It was a big deal. He came into darkness and you had the dragon, you had Satan right there before the mother wanting to devour this light. This is a cosmic thing that Christmas is. It's a big deal. And I love the decorations and I love the peace and I love the Christmas songs. I've been playing them for about three weeks now. I'm not tired of them yet. I love all of that. But this is a powerful thing. There's a spiritual battle. But light has shone into the darkness. And then there's one more aspect I want to point out to the, uh, the Christmas message that I think comes out here. And that is that God doesn't just shine His light in the darkness, but He shines it into the most unexpected places and often into the most unexpected people. Because here you have the whole Christmas story is described as like it's, things went down and they were so remote, so unexpected. These are not the people or the places that you look to for great things to happen. I mean, you have... You have the shepherds that the angels come to. And in that culture, the shepherds, you know, we think of them as, as being stinky. But they were the lowlifes. Uh, you know, history says, um, well, they, they couldn't even, their testimony in court wasn't even valid. Because, in other words, they were known to tell big whoppers. And you don't want to buy anything from a shepherd because the assumption was it's been stolen. It's just nothing but childbirth. So here's, here's the news of the light and the gospel coming to the shepherds. And of course you have Mary and Joseph. And they're just, they're just impoverished family. And she gives birth in a stable. There's nothing glitzy or glamorous about it. It's unexpected people in unexpected places. And in the Christmas story you get this idea and this theme that, well... That's actually the kind of people and places that God favors the most. You know, he says he, he looks for the, the humble and the lowly in spirit. And it's not those that uh, have these, uh, think that God owes them, or oh, I deserve things from you because I'm so special, or I deserve a special place because I've suffered so much in this life. It's those that come to him with nothing in their hands. That's a dangerous, powerful combination. And Christmas gives us that hope. Because that means when it comes to the gospel, see, the world has its own way of looking at things, and the world says, can anything good come from you? Can anything good come from this small, podunk place? And the gospel says, um, yeah, actually. It very much can come. God uses these at, this atmosphere and this climate of humility and lowness, lowliness and weakness to do wonderful things, to bring forth His plan and to grow His kingdom in this 
earth. Don't look to the earth and look to the earth and look to the earth and live in anguish. Look to the light that has come into the darkness. And that light is the light of man. That light is Jesus Christ. And I pray that that light will, that you will bring that warmth home with you today as you continue to enjoy one another's company and enjoy the wrapping of the presents. Enjoy all of the trimmings to the max. It's a wonderful thing. But most of all, enjoy the light of Christ that is shown into your hearts. May God bless the preaching of His Word.